We now pick up our theme once more, short studies for beginners, specially dealing at the moment with the scriptures themselves. We have now seen in three studies the external witness, the internal witness of Christ, and the testimony of the book seen as a whole. Well now I think it's time we opened its pages and allowed this book with all that backing to speak for itself. Every one of us has that right to claim that we should speak for ourselves. Let this book do so. And I would try to let it answer two questions. How did Scripture come? And how was it given? And answering those two questions, I think, will be as far as we'll get in this fourth series, of the series. So I turn to Second Peter, chapter 1, and I read these words. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in a holy mount. That's verses 16 to 18. Now, I was never on Mount Mount of Transfiguration. I never saw that actual vision. I can only read it at second hand. I can read that Peter saw it. And he seems to say this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. That's not belittling the vision, but he says, you needn't worry yourself because you haven't had a vision. You haven't had these things. We've got something that's far more important than any vision's ever been. We've got the word of the living God. So we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. And then, in verse 20, he gives the reason why we should take heed in our hearts to this word. Knowing this first, this is basic. If we don't know this, well, we shall flounder. If we do, we can begin to start. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, lifted out of its context, that is a good statement to make. We must not interpret the scriptures to suit our own pet ideas. But for the moment, we're not dealing with the interpretation of scripture, We are dealing with how Scripture came, so I'll go on. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now that's the meaning he has. So I go back to private interpretation and retranslate it like this. No prophecy of the Scripture is of its own unfolding. Private is the word idios, which means own. And interpretation means to unfold. So this double meaning. So he says, you see, this didn't unfold itself to the individual privately. He didn't sit and think it all out and then wrote it down for your benefit. It came like this. How? But the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now if we leave it at that, it means to say it didn't arise out of their own hearts. But you know as well as I do that this word moved is a very strong word and I'm turning to Acts 27 where we have the record of the shipwreck and the apostle is describing one part of his experience. He said that they were obliged to seek a place to winter and the place they were at was not very commodious 
and they thought that they got their chance and they took the opportunity to find a better place, but instead of that, they were caught by a tempestuous wind called the Eurotidon, verse 14. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up under the wind, we let her drive. And at the end of verse 17, we straight sail and so were driven. Here's a ship that's undergirded with its cargo pitched overboard, its sail useless, and it's at the mercy of the tempest. And that's the very word that God has used to say that's how those men were. They were moved like that. Not moved to tears and not moved by emotion, but carried along by an irresistible force when they wrote the scriptures. And if you look at the first of Peter, the, the same writer, he puts it this way in the first chapter. He's speaking about salvation in verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto them. You say, what were they searching for? Why should they search diligently? But isn't this the wonderful thought that they searched their own scriptures? They wrote them down and they didn't say, well, that's that. They said, now we better search them and find out what it's all about. So we'll go on reading. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. They were searching what they were writing at the prompting of the Spirit of Christ that was in them, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Well, that's one answer to the question, and a very big one. How did Scripture come? It came not of old time, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were driven along by the Holy Ghost. All right, now we'll answer the next question if we can. The next question is, how was it given? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Two Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 to 17. And notice this, it starts with a child, verse 15, it ends up with a man of God, verse 17. It deals with salvation in verse 16, it deals with absolutely complete equipment for service in 16 and 17. There's the range and scope of the scriptures. You start with them, you go through with them, and you end with them. They are so complete, so we'll read it. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. This word scripture is the word grammar. It's the ABC of the book. It's the very elementary things. It's not the same word as the word scripture in verse 16. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. But the Bible doesn't save anybody. A finger post can save you if you follow its directions, but of itself it's just a wooden structure. A finger post points to the deliverance. So, the Bible makes you wise unto salvation, but that salvation is through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the teaching of this book. It always leads you to him. And then, he goes on to make this further comment. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, the word scripture is the word graphy. And the word graphy means something which is written. And to this very day, we still use it in the word photography, lithography, and other words, and we give a graphic description so that we really draw or picture the thing in front of a person's eyes. 
This is literally that which is written is that which God breathes. Because the word inspiration, even in our own language, means to breathe. You inspire, uh, or you mustn't say you perspire, that's supposed to be uh, not quite the thing. Uh, you, you respire, you inspire, and the leaves of plants transpire, as, uh, otherwise you wouldn't live and get anything to eat if they didn't. So it always means to breathe. And then when you get the Greek word which gives us this word inspiration, it's the word pneuma, or uh, the verb, of which pneuma is the best one to pronounce, P-N-E-U-M-A. You know a person sometimes who hasn't had very much education, he speaks about somebody having P-pneumonia. Well, that's not quite so prevalent as it used to be when I was a boy. But pneuma, why anybody knows that a pneumatic tyre is a tyre in which you pump air. That's all it means. It's inspired. Did you know a tyre of a bicycle was inspired? Perhaps you think otherwise occasionally, but otherwise there it is. So with the tyre of a motor car. It's inspired. It's breathed into. Well, now here's the point. See, the, the Old Testament writers, they didn't write out of their own heart as they, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And here we have that all that is written, that's the scripture, is God breathed. So what he said, they put down. All the way through the Bible it says, and God said, and God spake. And then these men wrote it down. And when they'd written it down, they searched their own writings to see what it testified. And Daniel wasn't above searching the writings of others. For he learned by reading the prophet Jeremiah that the time of the captivity was nearly up and he started his great prayer. So we have now all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That is the purpose, that the man of God may be perfect, that is to say, complete, truly furnished unto all good works. So there's the range of the scriptures as well as the way in which they are given. Now let's take this a stage further while we have time. In the Acts of the Apostles, first chapter, and in the Acts of the Apostles, the last chapter, we have this witness. There are others that come in between, but our time may not permit us to indulge so far. Acts 1, Peter is speaking. Verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. That's his testimony. David spoke. And David spoke about someone who betrayed him, David. But it was the Holy Ghost through David who was speaking about someone who was going to betray Christ. There's the testimony. He sp it was the Holy Ghost who spake by the mouth of David. And when you come to the last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, the 28th chapter, this is not Peter speaking now, this is Paul. So we've got the double witness. He's been holding an all-day conference, been going through the scriptures, and in verse 25 it says, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed, after that Paul had spoken one word, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people. So the first chapter says the Holy Ghost spoke through David, and the last chapter says the Holy Ghost spoke through Isaiah. 
and the intervening references you'll find in more places than one where the Holy Ghost speaks. Sometimes he spoke in the assembly when it says the Spirit of God said, separate me Barnabas and Saul. But that's a little bit outside of our scope at the moment. Will you turn to the epistle to the Hebrews? There are three passages there I think we might notice. The epistle to the Hebrews is particularly concerned with the fact that God hath spoken and that is a subject that you can pursue yourself in chapters 1 and 2 and 12 and 13 if you like to make a private study to accompany this one. But for the moment, chapter 3, 7. Hebrews chapter 3, 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now he's quoting one of the Psalms, Psalm 95. But he doesn't say as David says, or as anybody else says, he says, to, as the Holy Ghost says. So the writer of Hebrews believed that when the Psalms were written, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Then chapter 9, he's there dealing with the typical tabernacle that was put up in the wilderness, with all its peculiar furniture, its ark and its mercy seat, its lampstand, its incense, its altars and its labours. Now, what was all this combination of things? Well, look at Hebrews 9, verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying. That's not merely that Moses had an idea that came into his head, or Aaron. This is the Holy Ghost signifying something with regard to the priesthood of Christ and the effectiveness of his great sacrifice. And then in chapter 10, 15. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Well, you, I thought Jeremiah wrote those words. You can read them in the 31st chapter of Jeremiah. Oh, so he did. But it was the Holy Ghost who was telling him what to write, and he's written it, and he's quoted as such. Well, either we've got to take it or leave it, you see. We've either got to written this book to be a pious fraud, forcing itself upon the consciences of men, pretending to be the actual word of the living God, and in spite of it all, it isn't. Well, in fact, so it's a diabolical book to come and pretend to be divinely given and not to be true. That's not possible to accept. Well, then there's only other alternative to say, well, it stands so much for truth and righteousness that we cannot possibly believe that those who gave their very lives rather than tell lies, those who gave their very lives in preaching and teaching the truth and urging people to stand for righteousness, that they should fabricate all this story for what? They, they lost everything in this world, and if they were not speaking the truth, they got nothing, no reward in the world to come. And we can't believe that the men who wrote this book were such simpletons. Now, should we just think of an extre two extreme cases with regard to inspiration? In the book of Numbers, I won't turn to the chapter and verse, I'll just sketch it out for you because our time is well up. In the book of Numbers, we have a, a prophet named Balaam. And uh, he was tempted by the king of Moab to come and prophesy against Israel that were on his borders. He was afraid of them. 
and uh, Balaam was a little bit concerned about this because he knew full well he ought not to go and prophesy against God's people Israel and he, he, he hesitated and he did what some people do instead of cutting the thing clean out he says I'll make it a matter of prayer oh that's a bit of hypocrisy any amount of times it nearly always means a person is trying to dodge the issue don't you be taken in with it he said, I'll make it a matter of prayer. And in the night God said to Balaam, all right, Balaam, all right. I, you know you ought not to go, but you go. But even though you go, you'll only speak the words that I'll let you speak. So off he went. And then you read they went through the, the, the ritual of having seven sacrifices and seven altars. And there he looked upon his right in the valley and he blessed them. And King was absolutely infuriated. He said, I brought you here and I'm going to pay you all this to curse Israel and you bless them. Well, he says, oh, you'll have to accept this. I cannot speak other, any other word that he gives me to speak. Now look, if a man who doesn't believe God and doesn't want to serve him has to say that when he lays hold of me, I only speak the truth, what about a man who does want to serve him? You see, inspiration is there even though he was rather a bad man. Then you come to the New Testament. Caiaphas was a high priest, but he wasn't a very holy man. He was the one who instigated the offering up of Christ to Pontius Pilate and gave the illegal trial at night time. Caiaphas. But because he was high priest that year, his words had a double meaning. He spoke of the saving of nation by the death of one man, but he didn't speak of his own heart he spoke because he was high priest that year. So you see, if God can lay hold of those who are enemies against him, and they can't help themselves to speak when he wants them to, how much easier it is to believe that when their hearts are right with God and they're willing to be used, that he could lay hold upon them, and he did. So now we've presented to you the young believer that we have in mind particularly, in four of these brief studies of 20 minutes each, just four approaches to this wonderful book. Now we're going to leave it there. If what we have said in these four studies doesn't provoke you to wish to know the meaning of the books and understand them more, I don't think we can do any more. But you will not be able to go on with our teaching without being assured, will you, that so far as we are concerned, we believe this book is true from the beginning and it's given by inspiration of God and is essential both for the beginner who is seeking salvation and for the ripest teacher that's ever lived that he may be truly furnished unto all good works. This series will be followed by another and as far as I can forecast but I'm no prophet speaking by inspiration uh, I, I expect that the next series of four studies will concentrate our attention upon the gospel. For if we're only interested in the Bible because it's an antique book that's one thing but if we're interested in the Bible because it comes to us and tells us sinners that God has provided a, a way of salvation, that's another. So that will be the line we'll take next time we meet together. We shall give, give four different studies which will present the gospel in four different ways. May the Lord grant that these attempts shall be un, uh, under his control and blessing and that some will see not only the wonder and integrity of the book, but the overwhelming wonder of salvation by grace.